Hey everyone, welcome back to another Right Way episode. Today's guest, William Knauer, I am just over the moon about. Unfortunately, Joe couldn't be on this interview, so I got William, or Bill as he's also known uh, to some, all to myself. Um, Bill is the author of Fearless Writing, How to Create Boldly and Write with Confidence, also the book, Write Within Yourself, An Author's Companion. And today is the day. Today is pub day for his latest, Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a writer or if you're thinking about writing, self-doubt is one of those things that just can plague you throughout the entire process. It can keep you from starting. It can keep you from finishing. It can keep you up at night, literally. So William and I really dive into not only what his book is about, but just self-doubt in general and all the little crutches we as writers pile onto ourselves that prevent us from really reaching our dreams and goals. Um, In addition to being a beautiful writer, he's also the editor-in-chief of Author Magazine. He's a sought-after speaker, teacher. He's been published in the New York Times, in Edible Seattle, Writer's Digest, Parent Map. He has been featured in Huffington Post. He's had video interviews with like every author that is, you know, kind of like a dream author from Nora Ephron to Amy Tan to William Gibson. He also has an amazing radio slash podcast called Author to Author, um, where every week he talks to a writer about the books and the lives that we live and just what it's like to be an author. I was lucky enough to be on his show a while ago, and it was one of my favorite interviews that I've that I've done. And after listening to today's podcast, our conversation, you'll totally understand why. He is such a professional, but he says so many interesting things about being a writer today that inspired me in an entirely new way. So I hope you enjoy this episode with William Knauer. I also hope if you have a writer in your life or if you are a writer, please support him today in his launch and pick up a copy of Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt. We need to end self-doubt seriously so we can get our stories out there More voices need to be heard. And this interview, if it doesn't inspire you to get there, I don't know what will. So enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. Okay, first of all, Bill, welcome to the show. Um, you were awesome. Let's get that out of the way, first and foremost. Thank you. I, I was on your incredible radio program, Author to Author, which is such a wonderful platform for writers to talk about You know what we do and the lives we lead. So to start, I wanted you to talk about a little bit about what you do, both as a writer, as a radio host, and even as an editor-in-chief. So let's start there. Right. Well, those those things all kind of intersect. The three I mean, the things I do, I have a podcast called Author to Author, which you were on. I've been doing that for a 
God, almost seven or eight years. I can't believe how long I've been doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'm the editor in chief of Author Magazine. And I write, um, I've got a book coming out in June called um, Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt. Published a book a couple of years ago called Fearless Writing. And I am interested in both the podcast and I do, and for Author Magazine, I also do video interviews with once a month with authors of all shapes and sizes. Love it. And the thing I am interested in is not so much the craft of writing. I'll, I'll talk about that with people some. I'm interested interested in the emotional challenges of writing. And also, as I say in the beginning of my podcast, what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. And I, I believe that very much to be true. In other words, you know, when you're writing a book, the page is blank. Yep. You got to choose what's on it. And I find that what you go through deciding what your, the story you're going to tell is, is the same creative process you can apply to your life. It is, requires the same sort of intuition and trust and curiosity. And the challenge, I think it's easier for me to apply the lessons, the creative lessons to the page than it is to the rest of my life. But I am interested in how, what take what I've learned at the page, like a martial artist learns in the dojo, yeah. you know, and apply it to the street. And so that's really what I write about and what I talk about. It's both how to apply sort of basic spiritual creative lessons to the writing, but also how those, what you learn in writing can apply to anything, to your relationships, to parenting, to starting a business, it doesn't matter. And yeah. so that is the focus. You know, when I do my interviews for, when I first started doing the interviews for author, the, the magazine, mm -hmm. I was clear, I wasn't really interested in the author's books that much, but yeah. just what do they go through when they face the page? Because I, I wanted guess. to be able, like when I talked to you, I didn't know whether anyone listening had read your book, but I figured right. we could talk about what you go through and that's universal. I, I believe that the creative process is universal whether people are writers or not. So that's always the focus of my conversations and really the, all the work I do at this point. Do you think the creative process now, like the world that we're living in now, where there are a million writers, a million creatives, yeah. a million people online, all kind of fighting for space, do you think it is harder to be creative and original today than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Or do you think it's no, it's all kind no. of the same? I am adamant that the creative process is not competitive. Oh, I, I say that as someone who grew up in sports. Yep. I was just thinking about this morning, Rhea, actually, about, you know, com competition can, you know, it's fun to shoot hoops, you know, to go out there and shoot baskets. Sure. It's more interesting if someone's trying to keep you from shooting the basket. You yeah. Know, that makes it more, it's more, but it's still fun to do it on your own, but it's more interesting. You know, it's one thing to run a race, but it's more interesting when there's someone you're running against, but and so I understand the value of competition, mm -hmm. but I think it is a misperception to see creativity and even the attention of the readers and your, all the people out there as competitive. Although I know that there's a big, in fact, everyone has what it takes is really trying to get rid of that sense of haves and have nots that, that yeah. there's not only does everybody equally creative, but there's enough people out there to support all the creative people. Now, a lot of people who are creative don't know how to present their work, are confused right. about how to, even what it is they're supposed to be creating, don't know how to get behind it, are embarrassed. There's a lot of reasons people's work doesn't gain the attention that the, the artist would like it. 
but it is not because there aren't enough people. You know, in fact, think about this. Think about this, Rhea. So you're a novelist, right? Mm -hmm. So you know the kind of numbers you would love to see for your books, right? Yep. You probably got, okay. <laughs> Let's say there are 250 million adults in America. I don't know what yeah. the number is. I know yeah. there's 330 million of us. Let's say there's 250 adults and you write for adults, so do I. If 1 million of those adults yeah. read your book, it would be a phenomenal success. Absolutely. And if half a million read it, it would still be, in fact, if 100,000 yes. of them read it, yep. it would be doing great. Absolutely. And that is a sliver of the, of the, of the public. Now, probably not all of them are readers, right? but you know, there's so many people out there. There's so many people out there. There's a plenty of us to go around. So I, I think the, I, I think that the thought of the thought of competition interferes with the, in, in, in that sense of like, let me get my slice of the pie kind of thing. I believe yeah. it obstructs the creative process. And so everyone has what it takes. It's about sort of trying to break that illusion about there not being enough. And there's some people got it and some people don't. You, there's plenty to go around and everybody has it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe competition's not even the the right word, but like results. I feel like to be yeah. creative today, we feel like it has to equal something. It has yeah. to, yeah, show up. Like it has to be published. It has to right. be produced if it's a song. It has to be seen in a gallery if it's a piece yeah. of art. And sometimes I feel like in, in this day and age, when we can do so much and we we can be quote unquote successful, that we wanna see specific results and we equate yeah. success to that versus just enjoying being creative because there are so many different ways to do that. Absolutely. And you know, what's weird about now is it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like anyone can put a YouTube page up there. Anyone Anybody. can start a podcast. Yeah. It, it, there's no <laughs> barrier to entry now. Exactly. There are, you know, uh, the, my current book's going to be published by Penguin. My last book was published by Writer's Digest Books. Right. Uh, actually, Writer's Digest Books is now owned by Penguin. But That's what Penguin I thought. When I was looking that up, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's amazing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's Penguin is my publisher. And Writer's Digest, you know, was a good, you know, they, my books are for writers of all stripes, you know, it yes. doesn't matter whether you're a poet or whatever. So, or romance or literary. Uh, and so it's true for the next book. And they did a good job considering their rather limited resources, but sure. you know, it's great to have the resources of paying as you know, you've, I don't of know course. who publishes your book. I'm with Macmillan. Okay. So it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you got the big publisher, the big four or yep. five, whatever's left. Yeah, it's four. nice to have those resources behind it. I, I, I love it, you know, myself. absolutely. But, but you know, one of the nice things when I was in my twenties, I, my brother and I had a sketch comedy show we did around um, Providence first. Yeah, we were doing it around Providence for a while mm -hmm. before we'd start, we moved on to other things. And looking back, what we really wanted was a YouTube page. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we, but no such thing existed in the eighties. And so, sure. or the, and the late eighties. And so, and, but it had there been, he, you know, how cheap it is to make, you know, all you need is a Macintosh and a, you know, or whatever, and you can make your movies. And so that's what we wanted. And that's what we would have put up. And so anyone, that's the kind of strength, anyone can put something out there. The, the question of how do you get, you know, this is what people will sometimes come to me. How do I get people to read my stuff? Oh my and gosh, like, yes. You know, and it's, and it's, and it's kind of mysterious. Mm -hmm. there, I mean, it's, it's mysterious. Cause you know, Rhea, cause you, as a novelist, the best thing you can get is somebody else saying, read yes. Rhea's book. Yes. Not you, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Else. And you can't make someone else do it. It is, it is the thing about this industry. And I've, I mean, I feel like I bang my head against the wall. Sometimes I've spent so much money on 
publicists and yep. outside events and you still cannot guarantee that someone is going to spend 15, 20 bucks to actually buy your book, no matter the best efforts. And it's, it's a, I think that's why you have to go into it, understanding what success looks like for you and yep. focusing on what you can control because you can't control who buys your book. So we're going to dive into both of your books actually, but sure. I want to talk about the magazine space a bit first Author? because sure. yeah, like publishing, I feel like, man, that's such a challenging industry and well, it's online. It's an right, online. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, I still think that in this day and age, it's, it can be a little bit challenging, but you know, we have a lot of clients at right way who are aspiring writers or authors. Yeah. I don't like that word necessarily aspiring, but right. they want to become published and they'd love to land a regular column for a digital magazine. Sure. Um, so if, if you are, say you're a writer and you don't have a magazine yet, what do you think is a good place to start? If someone wants to kind of try to pitch, um, like say they want to pitch author magazine, for instance, right. what, what do they need to do and where do they need to start? You know, it's an interesting thing. I, I think there's two things you gotta you gotta know. Um, you gotta know. First of all, you have to know what you want to write. Exactly. You know, you've yeah. got to be absolutely like write about what you're interested. You know, I published a piece in the New York Times about yes. raising a kid on the spectrum, and you know, this was a parenting kind of thing, but it really wasn't. Uh, but it was about. It's called No One Is Broken. Um, you know, an autistic son's lesson to his father, mm -hmm. and it was really about how he taught me this about life. And then I got approached by magazines to do parenting stuff. And I was not actually, and I wasn't, didn't, I wrote some stuff for a parent magazine, but that was not really my thing, mm -hmm. truth be told. I was more interested in like what a kid on the spectrum taught me about being human, not about how to raise yes. that kid specifically. Yes. And so I, I, I had to say, even though I was getting some, some asks for parenting stuff, I realized I'm not, I don't have that much to say about it. Mm -hmm. beyond, you know, I, and so I've got to be specific about what I want to write about. So just, you know, learn what you actually want to write about, what your yes. subject of interest is and let yourself dive in. The more you write about it, the more you'll learn about it, the more you'll become an expert on it. You could say I'm an expert on creativity and mm -hmm. be, but that's only because I wrote about it and thought about it and wrote about it, but it's not that I went to school for it. Exactly. I, you know, yeah. I just thought about it a lot. So first find out what you're actually interested in. And then, you know, this is, advice as old as the hill, but find out if there are magazines that seem to be open to that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Who is interested in what you're doing? And so for my magazine, if they wanted to pitch me, you know, I, I say I'm looking for articles on crafts. I do publish yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I publish articles on the writing life, just what it is to get up and face the page. And what did writing teach you about life? What has life taught you about writing? Yeah. I will say this, that's very helpful in pitching, that I've seen it now that I've pitched a bunch of stuff and that I've been pitched is um, it, the biggest problem the pitches have is they're not specific enough. Yeah. I want to write you an article about rejection. Right. Well, <laughs> that's, you know, that's good. But what is your specific angle on it? Yes. You, you, you've got to get really, and you know, I don't, you wrote nonfiction books, didn't you? you I wrote did. The, yeah. The, mm -hmm. And so even more with, even more so than in fiction, when you're pitching a nonfiction book, you've got to have your specific thing that you're, it's addressing. Right. Right. And that helps the I think it helps the writer, frankly, get clear about what they're writing about. And it also helps the, the, the publisher, whether it's a 
book publisher magazine know specifically what this thing is about. And it tells me if they don't have a specific, then I'm not sure what that thing's gonna, it's gonna be five things you can do to get over rejection. And that's, I'm not interested in sure. something abstract. I want one, I personally like one thing delved into deeply rather than five that. general things. There's a lot oh, of stuff online, that. which is like seven yeah. things you can do to either, you know, seven paragraphs it, about- Exactly. Whatever. It's too, too abstract for me. So that's the main thing. Find out what, you, I, I mean, I cannot, I am a poster child for this because I tried for almost 20 years to be a novelist thinking, because that was all I knew mm -hmm. and it really wasn't the fit for me. I'm really a personal essayist, essentially, yes, yes. right? That's yep. my thing. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't even read personal. I didn't know they existed really. I mean, intellectually I knew they existed, but I had no connection with them. It was just fiction. That was the only concept I have of a writer. Yeah. And so I tried to fit my round peg into a you know oblong hole and it just didn't it just didn't fit and i tried and tried and tried and tried and so i know experientially how critical it is to know what's the story you want to tell yes. and how do you want to tell it you got you know be exactly who you are don't try to make yourself into something you aren't because you think there's a market for it uh, i don't think it yeah. works i don't think you can do it no, I completely agree with that. And, you know, you, you've been, you know, lucky enough to be published in New York Times, Writer's Digest. You've been a featured blogger on Huffington Post. Yeah. And, you know, those are, those are publications that so many people would love to be featured in. But right. can you walk us through where you started with that? I feel like a lot of writers reach for those bigger outlets rather than starting locally, starting to build up their you know, their essays or their clips in, yeah. in magazines and things like that. But where, where did you start and how did that happen? For well, you? my, my, my venue, my, my path was strange because I had no, you know, I, I tried to publish books. I was waiting tables and trying to publish right. books. Nothing was happening. I get really close, really close. You know, there was yeah. always the thing, you know, cause I was oh, a skilled yeah. writer. Like I knew, and I did like story. I mean, there was, I always say that novels were like, I'm a size 12 and they were like a size 11 and a half and yep. they looked good on me. Yep. And like, I tried walking around. So, and the publishers would be confused. My agents would be confused. So I would get close. But what happened was I, I, I got to know this person who ran the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, which is this writing. And she wanted to start, the president wanted to start an online or magazine. I said, I got nothing to do. I just left the job I had. I didn't, had no job. I had some money because I, I knew she couldn't pay a lot. I said, I'll do it. I'm looking for something to do. I said, but I said, but here's what I want to do. I want to interview people and I want it to be videotaped because I don't want them to be yeah. just words. I want them to see their faces. And yeah. so what my, so my path was very unusual, but I think there's something in it that's useful to people. And so I started interviewing writers and I did it, Rhea, because I was not having success doing the thing I love to do. Yes. But I knew on some level, even though I had not had success, I knew it wasn't because I couldn't do it. Like I right. knew I knew how to write, but I was not spending time with people who were thriving in that. I was, yeah. all my experience was with people, except for my wife who had actually published a book with Viking. She was, she found a way through, but I wasn't meeting enough people. And so I wanted yeah. to spend time in the same room with people who were thriving and just to be around them, just to tune myself. So I just want not to even get their advice to just be in the room with them to know that they're real people and I could be one of those people too, right? So I knew I wanted to interview people and I started writing a daily column for the magazine really just because we needed content. You know, mm -hmm. we were brand new and I thought, and, and we needed daily content. And so I said, okay, I'll write one a day 
I'll write a blog a day for five days a week. And not knowing anyone was going to like it or read it, I didn't know what kind of reach we would have. You know, mm -hmm. it was a brand new thing. But that gave me my voice. It taught me because I was writing so fast. Yeah. I didn't have time to question it. You know, I only I would only give myself 40 minutes to write the blogs mm -hmm. and they got better and better. Yes. And I had no idea if people were reading them. Yep. <laughs> you know, I didn't care. You know why I didn't care, Rhea? Is because I always felt better at the end of every one of them. Yes. Yes. Right? Yep. Right. And I thought, well, it's a win then, because I feel better. So who cares if they're reading it? And then it turns out people were reading it. And so the way I got, you know, I got into the Huffington Post because my father-in-law was writing for them kind of, you know, just sending blogs into them. Sure. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And they was like, yeah. And then they started featuring my stuff around creativity because it was, because I had an unusual take, I think. Yes. I just wasn't coming at writing the way a lot of people were. And like the New York Times, I interviewed the man who's the editor of the, um, modern love column oh my god amazing right because he had a book out yep and he wanted to be interviewed and so i did and so i sent him a piece saying hey i think this is good for modern love he was like it's not but can i give it to a different <laughs> editor and i said please and so she loved it and that's how she published it oh that's and, so huge right and so but i met him you know i met him through the work so you know it's an unusual thing you can't replicate that but right but you do need to know what you're writing about you know, I tried writing things for Modern Love, but I couldn't find a story that fit them. You know, They're I really tough, thought man. I could. They're so tough. <laughs> right? I thought I had, I could do, I thought I like, I'm interested in love as an experience and I wanted to write about it, but I couldn't find one that really fit. But this thing, I thought this one idea did, but it fit better with this other column. So, you know, and for Writer's Digest, I I mean, I I was published by their, their book publishing yeah, absolutely. arm. And they said, can you write for us? So it was kind of, you know, uh, they, yeah, that was easier to get into because it was just there all the same umbrella. But the main thing is knowing what you do, what you are an expert at, what you are interested in writing about regularly. If you're interested in short form, you know, exactly. if you're interested in short form and, but be clear about what you, you have to say about what, you know, there are some writers who research different topic. They're more like journalists. That's fine. That's different than me. I really am just mm -hmm. specific to this one thing, but know what you're, know what you're interested in and know what you're curious about and go in deeply and you'll find the people who publish it and you'll find the people who want to read it. But you got to know what you want to do first. I mean, that clarity is everything because oh. I feel like so many people just want to be published. Yeah, and that's not a, that's no, nothing. I mean, we, we always have this, <laughs> this kind of test where, you know, we get a ton of nonfiction authors and you sell, sure. usually you sell the book based on a book proposal Yeah, and, you know, and their platform, we, I and assume their platform. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a little it, different, you know, it, sure. I will say this, this is tricky. The, and, and people like you were very helpful for that. Cause there are people who legitimately just want a book because they have a platform and they mm -hmm. have a, a message. I knew a woman, I've known a few of them, Rhea, I bet you've worked with them. I've known people, cause I'm a writing coach also, yeah. but I don't do what you do, which is like book doctoring and, and more of like really right. helping people put, I just want to help people learn to write and get over their fears and that sort of thing. So it's more like life coaching, but yeah. I've worked with people who are successful public speakers, like who know, who can get up in front of a thousand mm -hmm. people, hold the audience, sit down a blank page, they got nothing. 
He oh, right. Yeah. And that's, that's I, what I was going to say is in our book yeah. proposals, we, I make them write three complete chapters when we only yeah. really need one, because I want to see, can you actually write 200 pages about this yeah. concept? Or is this just an idea in your head? Would it be better in short form? Would right. you be better blogging regularly about this? Because I mean, that really matters and getting clear yes. on, on your message. Um, yeah. and speaking of that, let's, let's, kind of turn to your first book that you wrote, which is amazing, Fearless Writing, How to right. Create Boldly and Write with Confidence, Write Within Yourself, an Author's Companion. Yeah. So Write Within Yourself is actually the first book I published of this kind. It's a collection of short essays. It's, I I took 75 of those blogs, they're really yes. essays, and I collected them into, a, into this book of, you know, 75 short pieces. I love that little book, but it's the little thing you can, I always thought it's like a poetry collection. You can open it up, at any page and just read that page for that day. And you don't have to start, go start to finish. So that's a that's little amazing. collection right within yourself. Yeah. And then the and then fearless, fearless writing. writing. Yeah. Yeah. Fearless writing is, that was really based on a stuff I've been teaching. This core concept behind fearless writing is this. The number one fear I think authors face is that other people's opinion of their work matters more than their own opinion. <laughs> or, or in other words, when you yeah. sit down to write, the one question you cannot ask yourself is, I wonder what other people think of it. Like that. And yet yeah. that is such a, I, well, I teach this a lot, but that, that question is so compellingly practical. It seems that way, right, Rhea? Because right. you can't have a job. You can't have a career unless somebody likes your stuff, right? Completely. An agent's got to like it. A publisher's got, someone's got to like it. And yet when you're writing and you're in the zone and any writer who's actually written and likes to write, doesn't, doesn't want a book published, but actually enjoys the writing experience, has been in the zone, whereas Martha Beck told me recently, the walls fall away mm -hmm. and you lose track of time and the characters, if you're writing fiction, are talking to you and you're discovering, if you've ever been in that frame of mind, which is the frame of mind, by the way, you have to be in in order to write anything you'd want to share with anybody. Of it's course. the only frame of mind. You cannot be in that frame of mind and thinking about what other people think of your stuff. The two thoughts are incompatible. And Absolutely. that whole book is just about how to keep your mind where it needs to be. Yes. How to keep your mind away from the thought, which is like, cause you can spend so much time worrying about bad reviews and rejection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yet all the beautiful, all the best stuff you'll ever write happens when you forget all of that. Can I and tell so, you, like, I say this all the time, but I'm like, wow, being published has like ruined my love of writing a little bit, <laughs> uh, which is so sad, but it has become about the sales, the numbers, yeah, the reviews, yeah, got, like, because, you know, you're only, you're only as good as your last book yeah, sales yeah, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, man, I miss that window of now when I get in, when I get in that pocket of writing, yes, everything falls away. It's a total flow state, which is amazing. Right. But now now it has a little bit of baggage because it's yep. always about the next sale yep. um, and like the next deal, which is interesting. But yep. how, how, what was the process of you getting published? Like, did you write the whole book? Did you do a book proposal? Did you land? Oh yeah. So like, what yeah. I did was, so, you know, I was working on this memoir that I was called, that I wanted to call No One Is Broken. And I was just, mm -hmm. I don't know, I was having trouble with it. I had a bunch of different agents who tried to sell it. They all loved it. They all fell in love with it. And I couldn't, we couldn't find a, you know. And so I was talking to this agent who I met at a conference. We weren't working together yet. And I said, you know, 
I had all this teaching I did about writing. And, um, and I said, you know, I want to write a book about, and I actually started writing it. Yeah. I think I'd written a draft of it, which was that what, you know, how writing teaches you how to live. I wanted to write a book for everybody. Like this mm -hmm. is what you can learn from writing about life. Yes. And she said, no, 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 make it for writers. Your platform is writers, make it for writers. And I was like, I don't want to do it for writers. Yeah. I want to do it for everybody. <laughs> and then I said, well, she said, no, 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 Bill, your platform, your platform, you have a great platform for writers, do it for writers. I was like, well, I'll see. And I sat down, it immediately was better doing it for writers. It just awesome. sort of gave it a focus in this way. So I sent her, I wrote five or six chapters. I'd never, I'd written a proposal. I'd never really written a proposal. And I sure. did it. I learned how to write it. She helped me with it because I came from the world of fiction where there's no such thing as a proposal. Yep. <laughs> and I yeah. thought they were stupid. I was like, these are the mm -hmm. stupidest things. Just read the damn book. If you don't. But what I, exactly. I've learned, I, I'm over that now. Oh, um, yeah. So I wrote up a proposal and, and she sold it pretty easily to Writer's mm -hmm. Digest books. I really wanted to be with like Tarcher or um, sure. our uh, New World Library. But, you know, Writer's Digest they were a pretty good place for it. And they got it into Jane Friedman's hand and she published the first Amazing. chapter in her, on her blog. And that really helped it take off. And, um, you know, they were good. They, and I still like working with them in the magazine section because they've split now because of getting bored. Yeah. So that was how I did it, you know, but I came with a thing I had. And I will tell you when we sold it, we sold it in like April mm -hmm. and they said, okay, we need this in August, I think. Wait, to publish in August or they needed the manuscript? They needed the draft, the finished manuscript okay. in August. Maybe it was yeah. May. No, we sold it in May, Rhea. Oh yeah, that's fast. <laughs> right? And I said, no problem. And it wasn't. I wrote that thing. It, I, love I, that. I couldn't write it fast enough. Oh, you know? it's, that's how you know when that's. Oh, no, right. I was just on the, book. but you know what? The same is true of the book I'm publishing in June. It would took me no time to write once. I oh, did. I love, I love that. And I what, we're going to talk about that one next, yeah. but for that, for that launch, because it was, yeah. you know, pre, <laughs> pre COVID, uh, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. that, what, what were some of the effective strategies for that book launch and, and so were there any I, do's or don'ts? Can I tell you a funny story? So yes. when we sold, everyone has what it takes. So we sold fearless writing and to Writer's Digest. And I, I actually, I, you know, I'm gonna confess this. I, the one people I didn't want to take it was Writer's Digest because I didn't know anything about them. And I thought mm -hmm. they were all craft primarily. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I'm not a craft guy. This isn't a craft book. And even my agent was like, just make it a craft book, Bill. And I was like, yeah. it's not a goddamn craft. Yeah. Like this is not, that's really? not what it is. And I even talked to the editor. The one time I talked to the editor, I said, you know, you've read the chapters, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is so funny. I was like, you, you know what I'm actually going to say, right? Because this is what I'm doing. It's going, we're going into the spiritual side of things. Oh, yeah. Mr. Power. We're, I was like, okay, fine, fine. And they had actually, I, I, I've met some other people who published with them and they had shifted their focus away from pure craft to more of the inspiration, you know, to both craft and inspiration. So, so, but here's the truth. So when we sold Everyone Has What It Takes to Penguin, I was on the phone with the, the editor. And the first question she asked me was, how did you sell so many copies of Fearless Writing? And my, and honestly, I was, I did all, I was so bad about promoting that book at first. <laughs> I was so shy. Yeah. So I, I didn't hardly do anything. I did a book launch. I, I, I knew bookstores in the area mm -hmm. and I, and I did book launches. I did a book launch and people came and I, and I, and, but because I love teaching, I did a lot of um, conferences. 
yes. just because I love doing it. And I would sell out of books at the conference. And I That's do awesome. think that helped just people hearing about me. And of course, I had a blog that I was still publishing all the time where I would put a copy of, you know, an image of my book in every blog at the bottom of every blog they could Smart. click on, you know, so having a platform where I could sort of advertise the book regularly helped. I never talked about it on my podcast. I was too mm -hmm. shy to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, now I will tell you about this book. I am yes. not shy. And so Tell it's a totally, totally different <laughs> thing. But the point is this, and I think this is important. It sold anyway, despite my, my reticence. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, here's why I think it sold. The copy editor, when, when the editor, we were going through the back and forth and you know, there's the editor and the copy editor and the yep. copy editor's job is very mechanical. She's yes. got to go, just go through and find every comma and M dash. That's not right. Right. And so she, the copy editor was going through for the last round with fearless writing. And my editor said, I got I to gotta share something with you, Bill. I just heard from my copy editor who just finished editing fearless writing. And she told me when she was done working on it, she felt soothed. Oh, that's amazing. And I thought that is the greatest compliment I can Absolutely. get. I thought really, that's all I'm trying to do is soothe people. And yeah. I think why your book sells is how the reader it will sell if the reader feels better after they finish reading it. Because yes. if a reader reads Fearless Writing and feels soothed, what are they going to do when they when they talk to their friend at a writing group who is nervous? They're going to think, what soothed me? Oh, that book soothed me. They're yep. going to recommend it because they're going to remember the feeling because people who read your books and love them are going to forget your characters. Right. They're going to forget your story, but they'll right. remember how they felt at the end of the story. Absolutely. And I think that's why it sold because I, I knew like, Look, this message is very simple. I, I even said it in the first chapter of the book. Like, here's the message. You don't have to care what anybody else thinks about your work. That's it. You can close the book now. It's over. That's all yeah. I'm going to say to you. But I know how hard that is to believe. So I'm going to now write 240 pages re reiterating that just to soothe you into feeling, yeah, I don't have to be afraid. That's right. I remember. Yes. You yes. Know? So oh, feeling. And so the feet. So what you're selling, I can tell your listeners who are interested in marketing, you are selling a feeling to people. You're selling a feeling. You're a feeling merchant, and know what you know the feeling you're trying to sell people. Does that make that sense? Is, that is brilliant. Uh, selling a feeling. God, that's so that's so true. And I think, like yeah. as fiction writers, we can totally wrap our heads around that. But I think in nonfiction, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm solving a problem, and I have to, yeah. you know, have effective strategies. But that's that right. is such a better way to look. And at you it. are doing that. Like you are sure. like. Fearless writing solves a problem, right? But the, but what I'm but what I'm really reminding people of and this is so true. I've realized this more and more, which is like you already know the answer to this problem, mm -hmm. but you don't know you know it. Right? You think it's. <laughs> you, I'm just pointing out, like you know that flow state you get into. That's it. Like that's all you got to do. The difference yep. between me and them, the people who do, is that I recognize the flow state and said, ah, that's all I need to do. Yes. I don't need to do like that will answer that will solve my problems for me. Look, get into that state of mind, the ideas come, the writing, all that solves it. Even by the way, ideas about how to market it. Yes. I try to get into the same state of mind when I think like, well, how do I want to publicize this book? Do I want to publish it? Do I want to do a lot? Whatever it is, same yep. flow state. That solves the problems. So I guess I solve problems for people, but really I remind them that they know how to solve the problem. Oh, I love that. I'm and how good that feels about... to know yes. that. Yes. Right? Yes, like self-source, not outsource. Um, Ooh, I like that. Yes, I say that. I had not all heard the that. Time. Oh That's my god, good. I say it 
all the time with everything. I like it. With health, I like with it. writing, with yes, self learn to self source, not outsource. Yeah. Um, but still buy people's books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. That's part of self sourcing. Yes, exactly. You buy their books to feed yourself to give you. That's and that's another form of it. Exactly. So your new book, which is so exciting, coming out oh. on June first. So everyone has what it takes: a writer's guide to the end of self doubt, which is yeah. the best title, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Talk to us about that book. I know you've kind of like dipped into it a little bit, but really talk to us about um, the contents of that book. Yeah. Well, so you know, for, interestingly, it came. It was going to be a memoir called "No One Is Broken" mm -hmm. about raising a kid on the spectrum and how in order to raise him, I couldn't try to fix him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But some of the stuff he did, especially when he's young, kind of looked broken. And I realized I couldn't, if I tried, to, I couldn't fix him. I couldn't help him if I tried to, I couldn't be his father if I tried to fix him. Mm -hmm. But the only way I couldn't fix him is if I didn't think he was broken. And the only way I couldn't think he was broken is if no one was, because frankly, it would, it would be intellectually, it was impossible to say, well, he's not broken but the guy who can't publish a book is broken or my father who does this right. and that is broken or this politician or whatever. I, well, all the reason I think people are broken in the world, the failures, the unhappy people, the drug addicts, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. No one is broken. And I realized that a broken writer is someone who doesn't have what it takes. You know, that question, I don't know if you ever faced it, maybe you didn't, but the question of, do I have what it takes to be a writer? Have I got oh, it? Right? Yeah, I, I asked myself that yesterday. <laughs> okay, so so this is, so yes, absolutely. And when I was a kid, because I came to writing young, right? As like a 12 or 13 year old. Yeah. My first impulse was, I love doing it, therefore I must have what it takes. But, yes. but I was also an athlete and I couldn't yep. stay with that. I couldn't right. stay with that. Because, right. like, but do Same. you really, really? Is that enough? Really? Isn't there a measuring? Isn't there a, isn't there some kind of a filtration, the wheat from the chaff out there? Doesn't mm -hmm. success prove it? And so the question sort of niggled at my mind. How do I know? Because I, here's the thing, you got to know, right? You got to know, I think. Yes. And you, because you, because if you sit down, not to say, what's the story I want to tell, but if you sit down to say, do, let me write to find out if I have what it takes, mm -hmm. it gums up the works. And, and the only way I can absolutely know, I can't, it, it's not gonna be because I published something. It's not because I have a great day of writing. It's not because I get to number one in the New York Times best. Like that won't actually do it. Right. The only way I absolutely know is if everybody does, period. Mm -hmm. Everybody has what it takes to do the thing they love to do. Whatever that is. Doesn't mean you have to be number, doesn't, doesn't mean you have to win the Pulitzer Prize. Doesn't mean you have what it takes to write the book that you actually want to write, to, to, to be with the person you actually love, to do the work you actually love to do. Everybody has that. You yes. just have to, there is no such thing. I, I disbelieve the concept of creative haves and have nots. Yes. Every, and I think it's critical because not just to get yourself over the hump of publishing that first thing, not trying to publish to prove to yourself that you have it, because you can make up some, kind of metric. Well, I got a contract, therefore I know I have, oh, I've been published in the New York Times. I know yep. I have what it takes. You can make up whatever reason you want and you can live your life saying, I, I was just watching that Hemingway, some of that Hemingway documentary. And he's a fascinating case in that. Mm -hmm. He believed he was one of the haves, yep. but he blew his brains out in the end, mm -hmm. you know? 
And I think, because I know a lot of writers who have had a lot of success. And if they have decided that they're one of the haves and not the have nots, just that belief system, even if they've said to themselves, well, I am one of those people. I've won the National Book Award. I've sold X number. Therefore, I'm one of those who do have it. Just that belief will affect your life negatively. It will affect your work, I believe. I yeah. think you, even if you're, you could be doing better work, more free, generous, creative stuff, if you didn't believe in that, and it will affect your just your life in general. Because now you've divided the world into the good and the bad and the right and the wrong and the haves and the have nots. And it's mm -hmm. no good. It, it's no good because it's not the truth. Right. And you might as well do operate from the truth. And so I, I think it's critical. And I think it's critical for writers because we do it all the time, Rhea. We do it even when we think we're being complimentary. Oh, she's a genius. She's <laughs> such a, well, now we've diff, now we've suddenly yep. turned one person and made them different than everybody else. Absolutely. And I mean, and I think it undoes yeah. us. It, and, and I mean, in this industry specifically, and if you're talking to writers and really overcoming that self-doubt, you know, what about the writers that toil away for years and years and years and years, and it's just, they want to be published, but it's rejection, right. after rejection after rejection, yeah. or the writers who, yeah, have been kind of at the top of their game and then suddenly they're not relevant anymore or their books aren't right. selling or, right. you know, really grappling with that self-doubt. I mean, I think I always talk about that too. Success is such a, a moment. And, and if we borrow other people's versions of success, like hitting a list or, you know, selling your book for six figures or whatever it is. Whatever. It's arbitrary. Yeah, it's I arbitrary. Mean, it, it is so arbitrary and it's so fleeting. I mean, that's not yep. the journey. That's that's just a, a blip. On and what? And when we say success, because this book yeah. in a lot of ways is about success. And I, right. and I will tell you, I was the winner who lost. I was a winner. I won. I was good at winning at things. And I was good at being good at things. I was one of those people. Give me anything. If I have to be good at it, I will be good at it. Not great necessarily, but good at it. Like it didn't matter because that's a skill. It's a way of like focusing. And I was, but I then I spent 20 years working as a waiter, not selling my books. It mm -hmm. was brutal because I was ambitious. I had an ego around it and I knew nothing was happening. And so it was rough, man. It was rough. And I came to understand that when we say success, what do we mean? What we mean is I, if, when this thing happens, I will feel this way. Finally, I will feel this way. And right. here, here's something interesting. When I got the contract, because one thing I really wanted was a contract with a big six publisher. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Well, finally, I get it for this book of all things. Mm -hmm. And I was going for a walk after I realized it was going to happen. And I felt this kind of relief. And I said, Bill, you never, it's like I put some baggage down. And I thought, don't mistake this contract for the reason that baggage isn't there. You never had to be carrying it. It was yes. artificial. Yes. You believe you needed this thing. You, now you've got it, but you can make up something else. You could decide it needs to sell X number of copies. Oh, yep. You could decide, <laughs> what about the next one? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's what we, what we want from success is a feeling about ourselves. Yes. And we think when that, like, you know, and, and it isn't just publishing, it's, I want to be married. Oh I want to lose weight. I want to, then I'll feel good about myself. I and what, right? always ask right? writers, like, what do you think is going to change once you are published? <laughs> right. Like, because right. if you're not happy before you're published, you're not fulfilled before you're published, you sure as hell aren't going to be after. And I, I really did that work 
before I got my first um, book deal with uh, for not her daughter with with the big five because right. I realized like if I yeah if I hinged all my happiness and joy and you know what I felt to be a successful person on getting that book deal I mean there were a million things that could go wrong after that or take that away from me I realized that I don't ever want how I feel to be dictated by some outside thing. And again, it goes back to that self-sourcing, but I don't think a lot of us take the time to really sit and do that first and, and you know, and, and really- But here's the interesting out. thing, Rhea, if you're a writer and you're, let's say, I'm gonna say you're a creative writer, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction, yep. but there's an emotional content to the stories you tell. It's not purely like academic or journalistic. So there's an emotional content. Because for writers, I always say to writers, this is sort of a craft thing, but feel first, write second. In other words, if you don't know the feeling content of the scene, then you can't write it because you're always, it's the felt experience of life you're trying to convey, right? Yes. Does that make sense? Yep. Right? Well, think about that. You're sitting, I, this is where I'm sitting right now is where I write. Mm -hmm. And I sit down and I can feel anything I want. I can yes. access any feeling I want to write about but the conditions don't change. Mm -hmm. So I have access to any feeling I want, any, and it's not dependent on the conditions. There's a mistaken belief that how we feel is dictated by our experiences. It is not. I know, I know why it seems like, well, if someone dies, oh, sure. I win the whatever. But really, well, I don't want, the dying thing is complicated, but even that is not the case. Even that is not the actual source of your unhappiness. No. Um, not, it, I know why it seems that way, but it's not actually. Well, and the worst thing that can ever happen to you is a feeling, actually. That's it's like right. our thoughts about that that feeling. I mean, it, it's, right. it's so empower, empowering, but also <laughs> kind of overwhelming when you think about that. But all the things we, I don't know, I think we, we think on autopilot. We do oh. borrow a lot of other people's stories and baggage and yes. bring them with us instead That's of right. really doing that thought work. I mean, it's, I have an eight-year-old daughter. She's an only child. I mean, we talk about thought work more than- Wow. Hey, good for you. Anything. Good for you. I, tr I tried with our boys. They weren't going to have it. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, what else are we going to do during quarantine, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, it's good. I, I should say one, one of the things I'm interested in about as, as a writing person who writes about creativity and writing yeah. specifically is- what you think about while you're writing, not yes. what you what you think about what you're thinking about when you write, the, yes. what you bring to the table, because so much about writing has nothing like if writing at core is simple if all you're doing is writing, but usually right. there's more you bring to the table than just let me tell the story. This like, am I good enough? What will people think of me? Will yep. I make enough money? Blah blah, all on and on. Yeah. When you're just writing, it and you're not obstructing it with doubts and questioning yourself. It can be relatively simple. Doesn't mean sure. it goes fast, but it's not complicated in that way, I don't think. Absolutely. So with your writing routine and and what does that look like for you? Are you an everyday writer? Do yeah. you absolutely sit your yeah, sit your butt yeah. in the chair every day? Like talk same to Same place, that. same place, same time. Are you <laughs> a morning day. writer? Or yeah, I'm in the first thing in the morning. I yeah. get six I'm I'm there by six twenty every morning. And um and then I'll, because my days are my own, I will, yes. if I, if I need to, I can do work later on writing. I can write later on in the day also, if mm -hmm. I want to come back to something, 
but my best writing time is first thing in the morning. I like that. I like the routine of it. I think there's something Pavlovian about mm-hmm. my mind being, I, I, you know, I have a whole chapter about it and everyone has what it takes. I wrote a piece about it for Writer's Digest. I believe the, the, what is under explored or under, um, the importance of it is not addressed for a lot of people when they talk about writing is what happens when you sit down to write, how yes. you're having to move from your domestic frame of mind where you're you're relating with your five senses to the external world and you're getting feedback from that world and you're interacting even if it's just your cat even if it's just the smell of coffee in the morning all of it stimulates stuff in you Mm -hmm. and then you sit down to write and where you have to go where do you go you got to go inside because you can't use the outside world you might think about the outside world but you can't unless you're going to write about your lamp right in front of you, you're not a, you know, you're not a still life painter. Sure. You have to go in for all the inspiration. And a lot of writers, especially new writers, beat themselves up because they sit down and they think, well, I got nothing. And all that's happening is their attention is where writing doesn't come from. Mm. Yeah? And I think yeah. the professional writer has taught themselves how to go to where writing occurs and they don't beat themselves up if they don't get there immediately. Mm-hmm. Like they know how to make that shift. And a lot of beginning writers don't know how to make, and the feeling, Rhea, of sitting and feeling like you have nothing is so bad, is so deadening, is so yep. suicidal that it, people avoid writing just not to feel that thing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, think about, I mean, I think the, you know, with the phone and the, all the screens and social media, I mean, it is such a distraction that we cannot sit for more than a couple of minutes, a lot of us, and just yep. go within, go within. and, yep. and be that's why quarantine back. has yeah. been so hard for so many people. Absolutely. Because they were used to getting that sense of connection from the outside as a writer. My wife's a writer too. It's like, well, this is not that has not been that hard for me. I've missed the classroom. Sure. I've missed just being out and about a little bit, but I go in, that's where I go yes. for my sense of connection. And a lot of people just <sighs> unfortunately just don't know how to do it. They didn't teach themselves how to do it. Oh my God. That's my favorite. I love that. Like going within, Good. I mean, I'm, I, I live that every single day um, of all the things that you do, because you, you do a lot in this space. What fuels you the most? Is it the writing? Is it it's the, the podcast? Writing. Is it the teaching? The it's writing. the writing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, the, it's really the writing. And, and it's interesting because I love what I'm doing now. I love talking to you. I love talking to people. Yes. Like I like the actual, you know, I'm a bit of a performer and I enjoy that. It's, it's enlivening, mm-hmm. but if I could only do one thing, it would be the writing. Are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Are you? I think I'm an introvert. Really? You seem so extroverted. Well, I'm an, there's a, there's a vert, there's a breed of us who are performative introverts. I I think that's me as well. Right. Because you have good energy too. You have good um, interactive energy. But if you're like me, if you don't have that hour or two or three alone. Oh, then you don't don't, like that. Right, you go yeah. nuts. Right? <laughs> well, I bought. I've, I've said this on the podcast many times, but during quarantine, with my daughter at home, she's homeschooled anyway. Yeah. Yeah. My husband here. I bought a tiny home and dropped it on the back of our acre property, uh, so I could write yeah. in peace. And it's so quiet in there that it's almost. I'm confused because there's just <laughs> not a million things happening. I'm like, wait, what? Um, I love it. 
That's oh. what tiny homes are only good oh. for in my mind. Oh, I agree with that. <laughs> Can you imagine living in that? Uh, yeah, I could actually. I've thought oh, about like, why didn't I put a toilet in here? Why <laughs> it's actually really, it's really awesome. But uh, it's funny. Now, uh, quick question: Like, what is a mistake? I don't know if you, you know, again, you work with with writers, and and it's a little bit more on an emotional, spiritual yeah. level. But what is the the biggest mistake you feel that writers make time and time again on their path to publication? Is it their thought work, not doing that thought work? Oh, totally, their thought yeah. work. It's That's absolutely the thought work. Yeah. And I think I would say it is probably caring too much about what people think of their stuff. <sighs> I, I think that is the biggest. You know, and it's funny because I, I, that's the conversation I have with writers. Like even once you've had success, you got to still got to, you know, you still got to stop thinking about the fact that people are reading your stuff. Oh, yeah. You got to not worry what you're, you know, I've got a new book coming or I've got a, another book I've started. My Ooh, agent that's was, what like, I was gonna well, ask. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like I was like, well, do I want to do what? And I was like, you know what? I think I got another idea for one in this same vein. And um, my agent was like, ask the editor what she wants you to do next. You know, I was like, mm, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, no. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, no, I, you. I can't, you know, I actually, I wrote to her, I said, hey, I'm starting something, you know, I'll send it to you when I'm done. I'm hoping, I would love it to be at Tarcher. We might get into, we'll see if we can get into Tarcher. That's amazing. For like everybody kind of. That's, I, I would love to see my work reach more than, you know, I, nothing went wrong with writers, plenty of writers, but I, I feel that the, what I'm talking about is really goes yes. way beyond writing. You know? That's that's where I get, we're, we're writing, my business partner and I are writing a book uh, or writing, yeah, we are writing a book called, So You Want to Write a Book, Now What? <laughs> like putting right, in right. just absolutely everything. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I want, I'm kind of like you, like I actually love the personal essays and it's probably my favorite thing to kind of dabble in is, is really? nonfiction, that personal slant. Oh. I've really been toying with, with going back um, Oh, more to that type of work but yeah not not only speaking to writers but speaking to everyone well you, you know? can do that though Rhea because you because of your personal journey and I remember enough about it from our conversation you understand the power of focusing and whether it's from sports or then publishing of of what you have to go through to sort of yes to use a word I'm not a fan of, but manifest. Oh yeah. <laughs> whatever you want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's so important for people to know the power they have to understand where their power actually is. Yeah. And you have, it seems like you've kind of made a bit of a journey of that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's never over. I mean, it's constantly New, changing and evolving, right? but I had you know, recently, like I'm at a crossroads in my, in my um, career actually with, you know, do I want to stay with fiction? Do I want to go with a right. different publisher? Do I want to, what I yeah. want to do? And I was like, oh my God, like, who am I if I'm not a published <laughs> author or who right. am I if I'm right. not a CEO and founder of this business and who right. and really starting to think about that? Cause I've tied up my self-worth in. It's so tricky. Oh. You know what? Cause you, you do this thing like, okay. So you've written a book. That's a, like, Publishing and writing and publishing a book is not a small deal. Like it takes, sure. you know, it does, it's, it's not just that there's, it's not just that, the, you know, if you look at the numbers of people who write stuff that doesn't, you know, the rejection to acceptance rates is crazy, but those that's misleading because there's so many things that are written and submitted that are not ready to be submitted. So the numbers yes. are misleading, but it, it requires focus. It requires commitment. You have to get over self-doubt. 
You have to do the work. You got to find the right person. It's a whole thing. And starting a business, it's a whole thing. Like you've got to believe you can do it. There's a lot you learned. Like there's a lot to sort of be proud of in those things that you've created. And yet they're not who you are. Right, exactly. You are the person laying in bed at night in her nightgown or whatever. Not a nightgown. <laughs> really, that's who you are, right? That's who we are. We know right. that. We know that. Right. And all we the other things that, can, can be gone tomorrow. Yes. I right? mean, but, in, and I, I think I constantly, you know, I think if you go within a little bit more, if you're more an internal person, I mean, I look at all of just everything that everyone is doing, like hustling around and trying yeah. to stay relevant and put, their, yeah. put themselves out there. I'm like, but for what? Like, what right. are we all- Good chasing? question. It's a right, good right? question. <laughs> I, you know, it is a chapter in, in Everyone Has What It Takes called Why Publish? Because yes. here's the thing, I, I know why I write. Like that's sure. easy, right? It's a, it, you write because it feels so good to do it. And so I had, I was like, you know, I know I want to publish and I know it's about more than the money. Yes. Although I love being paid for something I've written. Because of course. I will happily write for free. And I have, and I still do. Uh, but how great to be paid for something I love to do that I would do for free. But I had to break down like, hey, why do I want to publish? Oh, here's something interesting, Rhea, around when I publish Fearless Writing. Okay. Uh, this was a great re realization. I, I tell this story in the in everyone has what it takes. But uh, so we we had put the proposal together, and I really felt like I think I'm lined up with this fearless writing. You know, I had submitted a lot of books and gotten very close to big publishers, yeah. and that happened. But I felt like this feels like it's pretty lined up, you know. And uh, so my agent sent it out to six publishers, and on a Friday, we got the first no back, mm -hmm. right? You know, because this is what happens. Sure. And I felt an old familiar. Ugh, Yep. Oh, you know. yep. And I said to myself, no, no, I'd, I'd now gotten a little wisdom, a little, Rhea, just a little. And I thought, let me, let me look at this. And so I did something with myself. I said, Bill, <laughs> do you want to publish this book? And you know what my first answer was? No. Well, there you go. I said, I have to publish it. Ooh. Or else, or else, you know. And I thought, I don't want to have to do anything. Right. Fuck you. I don't yeah, want to have yeah. to do anything. <laughs> I'm... And I said, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Why would you want to publish it? Why would you want someone to buy it? And I thought about, I'd actually published something like articles and stuff. And I thought, I like working with editors. That's fun. Like, yes. It is fun for me. And I love having people read my stuff. And then the conversation that follows from people reading my stuff. And I thought that would all be fun. Oh, I would like to publish it. Yes. And on Monday, we heard from Writer's Digest. So of that course. Was, I, I lied. <laughs> But I was critical, like you got to know why you're doing it. And it can't be because to prove something, it can't be to prove nope. your worth. Like, and so for why are you publishing? Well, like, why am I publishing everyone has what it takes? Is it the money? No. Is it the big contract? No, not, no, it's the conversation. I love the conversation that I'm able to talk to you or I'll talk to people. I just think it's so cool. And I love to help people. Yes. But really it's the conversation. It's so beautiful and it's so interesting to me. And that's an interesting experience. So that's why I do it. That's why I do it. Oh, like, and the that. more you, and I remember I've stood up in front, I remember first time I gave a public talk and it went really well. And I thought, all you got to do is do this. You love talking to people about the things you've written and you love talking about the things that you love to write. Like, just keep doing that because yes. you love doing it and people seem to be willing to pay you to do it. So just do this thing because you like doing it anyway. 
Exactly. And, and just see, and don't try to figure out where it's going to go. Oh, it's tough. Oh, right. Because you think, can I get that you on a like, Oh, this person got this many likes. This oh my God. This many followers. You can't, you can't, man. No, you cannot. Oh, I feel like you, you just have so many amazing nuggets of wisdom. I want all of them on a I'll give you one more. I'll <laughs> give, give you one, one more. more. Okay. This is a story from the book. And this was a, a moment. So I'm with my son. I call him Jack in the story because mm -hmm. he didn't want me to use his name. Aww. So he's, that's fine. You know, whatever. So we're at, we're at a, a food court in a mall type situation. And, you know, he was on my mind because I was dealing with the concept of broken people. And, and he had really made me, I, he taught me because of him, I had to learn to see a world without broken people. I just had to, it was yes. like a matter of survival really. And it was the best um, practice I'd ever adopted in my life for sure. It was the most, it really taught me to see beyond the veil of behavior and labels and money and race and all that stuff. Right. And so we're sitting there and there's a guy in a paraplegic in a, in a wheelchair being mm. pushed along and being cared for by someone. It's like the kind of thing where like, they have to like type on a little, they can't even see, he can't even talk. He has to type. So he's, you know, he's really limited down to this. Right. Yeah. And I looked at him and, and, and the person caring for him. And my first impulse was like a kind of dread, like, oh, thank God I'm not him. Oh, right? yeah. Of course, right? Because yeah. I want to be able to walk sure. and talk. And then I looked at the guy caring for him, like, oh, I'm glad I'm not him either. I wouldn't want to have to care for someone like that. That seems exhausting. But then I looked around the, the food court and I thought, you know what? I don't want to be anybody in this food court. <laughs> and I don't want to be Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be, I want to be me. Like that's who I actually want to be. And yes. why can't that be true for the guy in the wheelchair too? Absolutely. Why does, why, I actually want to be me. Yes. That's what I want to be. And the same is true. And I'll tell you, if you're, if your listeners are writers, there is nothing more you than the story you actually want to tell you yeah. in your own voice. Yes. And that, and writing when you just a simple sentence that just lands, that is just, that comes out and that's just what you wanted to say. And there's no, you didn't ornament it to make it yep. acceptable to other people. That is self-acceptance. That's what it is. That is the act of self-acceptance. Just a story that you actually wanted to tell in the way you wanted to tell it. Can I hire you as my life coach? Can you be my life coach? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. serious. Um, oh, I love all of this so much. Um, Okay, so we love to end our little interviews with a little lightning round. Yes. So just kind of okay. saying the first thing that comes to your mind, no Got pressure. It. Okay. All right, cool. Um, best moment as a published author. Best moment as a published author. The first time someone sh at a signing showed me a picture of a quote from my first yeah. Write Within Yourself that she had hanging over her uh, desk as she wrote and that's me huge realizing wow there's something I've, I've written is helping someone else on that level that was it was a beautiful moment that's it meant a lot to me absolutely what's the biggest thing you've learned on your path to publication that that my job is to be me like mm -hmm. that's my job mm -hmm. you be bill from beginning to end and i will tell you it, it's learning what that is mm-hmm you, or more specifically, these are supposed to be lightning, but you can't, I, I'm, I'm thundering. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know what you, learning what you is means, it means peeling away what you're not. Yes. All the things you thought you were because of society or culture and actually finding what you are. Oh, love that. Yeah. 
What's your favorite thing to do when not working? Uh, write uh, music and uh, sing it. Play the piano and write, sing the music I write. I like to write music. That's become my new, um, my new hobby. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's good. I get to be creative in a totally different way. So it's That's great. awesome. If you weren't a writer, you'd be? A composer. <gasps> composer. Yeah, awesome. I would be. I'd be a musician. Yeah. I'm oh, sure. love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite way to give back? Give back. You know, I guess it's in a way, I love, I guess it's sort of like the interviews in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I know they are my platform, but I try to, I want to help. I want to support yes. those writers. And it, you know what I love about it is it doesn't matter whether I would ever read their book or not. Yes. You know, it really doesn't matter to me. I just love that they love their work and I love helping them talk about it. I Absolutely. think that gives back. I think that oh, no, that completely gives back. Good. How do you stay sane in our <laughs> overwhelming batshit crazy world? <laughs> I, I stay sane by just what we've been talking about, understanding that my well-being is unconditional. Yes. Oh, I only yes. lose my mind when I think it's outside of me. And I keep coming back to that, baby. Oh my God. So good. Uh, wine or beer? Or whiskey, wine, wine. wine. got it. Yep. Fiction or nonfiction? I, I think I think I'm kind of nonfiction. Yes, hundred percent. I think I kind of am. You know, I poetry even. Oh, love poetry. I know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, best book you've read so far in 2021? Oh God! You know, I know it's, it's, such a I, it's, it's hard for me to say that because most of what I read, I have to read for my um, uh, for my podcast podcast and it's stuff that's really I just read it because I kind of have to I would say there's a book my wife found that she's been reading to me every morning mm. and it's called so this is it I hate the title it was written in 1920 and it's called the science of getting rich now again I can't stand the title wait who's who's that author I can't even remember his name um I could run and if, if, if you're willing to edit I can go grab it sure. out of the next room sure, yeah let me absolutely. go get it hold on I don't, I don't, apparently my wife took it into the, into her studio with her. It's the science of, it's written by some guy in the 1920s and he does a great job of distilling what has since become called the law of attraction. And so that's not Florence Schivel shit. I thought, okay. So there's a 1920s metaphysicist who I love, who writes about all of that. Right. So um, there were, you know what? There was a whole movement at that yeah, time. A yeah, lot of people, right. Napoleon Hill eventually yep. wrote a book called that you know think and grow rich which yep. kind of was like the big bestseller but there was a whole and this book is tiny it's like 60 pages long i think god do i have that book you may I'm it's by some I'm guy and my wife is reading another one by a woman she's got like a french name but i think she's american called um god, i can't remember but she's discovered these people and mm -hmm. been reading them to me and i love i would say the other book that's just been published that i highly recommend is martha beck's book the way of integrity yes it's, Okay. Yes. I just did an interview with her. It's coming out. Oh. just got published. We did a great conversation. I think she and I are going to be doing something with my book when it comes out. Great oh. book. She's top notch. She looked at, she, there's an aspect of, of what she deals with in that in terms of uh, the way culture, the way we give our 
our identity away to culture that I thought yeah. was just brilliant and spot on. So oh I, in terms of recently published books, I recommend that Absolutely. for people wanting to find their way. Absolutely. Um, what or who um, has had the biggest impact on your writing? Who's had the biggest impact on my writing? Uh, boy, I would say, I mean, really, I am so self-taught, Maria. So it could be one, you. <laughs> I could be, you know, it's a funny yeah. story. I mean, I would say probably the biggest like writer was a, was a, a guy named T.S. Eliot. I read oh. him when I was 17 and I literally read some of his poems and I said, oh, you can do that. And I swear yeah. to God, my writing changed the next day. There was something oh. he, he did intellectually, philosophically, linguistically that just yeah. cleared something up for me. But I will tell you in my freshman year in college, I, I had to take a freshman composition class because my SAT score in English was just low enough that they made me take this class. I was <laughs> absolutely offended. And I, I took the class and, and, the, and the professor said, wow, you know, you know how to write already. And I was like, I know. He said, well, go, I'll show this piece you wrote to the head of the English department and, and maybe she'll let you get out of the composition 102 or whatever. And so she read it and she said to me, where did you learn to write? And I was so confused. I said, at my typewriter. Oh. <laughs> And I was not being, I was not, I wasn't actually being snotty. I just thought, well, it's where amazing. else do you learn to write? And so I, I, I think I am a very self-taught person. But that know? goes in with your messaging completely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. That. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. Um, and lastly, who's one author you think everyone should read besides huh. yourself? You, Rhea. No, I, I would, <laughs> you know, I'm going to actually dodge the answer and say no one should read anybody Ooh. because I, I think you should read whoever the hell you want to read. Mm -hmm. And if, and if, if it's, if it's a romance writer who just does it for you, that's great. And if it's James Joyce, then read yes. James Joyce. Love but I good. think the worst mistake we make is we tell people you're supposed to read this person or supposed to read that person. And it may not help at all. Right. You've got to read who you want to, you, you have the best guidance system available to you and that will guide you to the kind of stuff you want to write. Or and I, I find that books tend to fall in my lap right when I need them or are recommended yes. to me or I find, yes. you know, like it's so amazing. It's kind of like with our clients, we get the kind of clients, I get the kind of clients with just subject matter that I'm actually really interested in, or I'm going through something at that particular yep. time and they're working on a book that's kind of that's right. in alignment with that. So I think that's, that's really awesome yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bill, this has been so amazing. Can Hasn't you- Hasn't it been great? So it's great. You're, you're like, the, this is seriously my favorite interview that I've done. Ah. I'm, oh. No, I'm being serious. It's so, so full of like wisdom and energy and life. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can go to find out more yes, about you, your books, course. all the favorite things that you're doing, all the amazing William. Things. So she calls me Bill. And yes. if you ever meet me, you can call me that too. <laughs> but in the world, this is the way to, hey, here's some writing advice for all you marketing. Yep. You do have to have an, you have to have an identity. And my identity is I'm cursed with a name that is multiple. So I'm a William. I'm a William in the world of publication and so on. So William canour.com is the hub of my internet empire. And so there you can find my books. If you're interested in coaching, I do coach people over Zoom. So wherever I'm you may interested. be, if you wanted to work with me, you could, uh, maybe, maybe it's a good fit. Um, and it connects you to Author Magazine, authormagazine.org, you can go there for it. 
to my YouTube page, to the podcast. It's all there on, on williamknauer.com. Yeah. WilliamKenauer.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Everyone go out and buy just because you want to though, not because you feel like you have to. <laughs> Everyone has what it takes. A writer's guide to the end of self-doubt. Bill, thank you so much. This was so thank incredible. You. And we'd love to have you back sometime. Hey, anytime, baby. Amazing. Anytime. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 